one of the first things is, you know, thinking about what makes yourself irreplaceable, uh, either to your company or, uh, you know, if you're still working right now and, and clocking a nine to five, what makes you irreplaceable there? What's something if you were not there um, that, that, that they just couldn't do without? Welcome to the Prosperity Perspective by DML, a conversation about how successful business owners invest their hard-earned money to preserve their wealth and what they might have done differently in hindsight. Thanks for joining us today, guys. Today, we're joined by Darren Tuttle and uh, excited for him to share a little bit about his journey and uh, his advice and perspective for you guys. So without further ado, Darren, you want to introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah, certainly. Uh, my name is Darren Tuttle. I'm the owner and chief investment officer of, of Tuttle Ventures. We're a Southern California-based investment management firm uh, that is investing so you can uh, do the rest. Uh, I got my start as a millennial man- money manager at Goldman Sachs and, uh, and since then have gone off and done my own thing uh, and been featured in, in uh, some publications like Forbes, or uh, business uh, entrepreneur magazine uh, for some of my expert insights on investment management. That's awesome because the uh, topic for us is all about investment, right? And uh, what you do with your money once you get to that point of profitability, right? And so a lot of the listeners, I'm sure, are very excited to hear some of your thoughts and you know what you've done and uh, kind of where you are today. So. You know, as you were going through, right, I'm sure at Goldman, uh, pulling a nice salary and continued to increase over time, you know, once you got to that point where you didn't have to worry about living expenses or, you know, covering those basic entertainment things, what did you start thinking about where you wanted to put your money and, uh, you know, how did you invest? Yeah, I think, um, you know, for me, one of the things in my experience with wealth management is you get to... uh, rub shoulders with a lot of people that have done this already. Um, so there was a, a plan called the financial life inspection. It was a hundred point checklist where we went over every aspect of a client's financial life and two, uh, you know, main aspects really stuck out to me. The first one was real estate. And the second one was ownership in companies. Um, those were the two primary compounders um, that others were able to build their wealth. So the first thing that I did is when I actually started coming into some, you know, real money, some real good money, um, was being able to purchase a home. Um, Scottsdale, Arizona, obviously a hot market. Uh, we put in some floors, we made a couple renovations, and immediately we saw, uh, you know, our equity in the home compound exponentially on on a very short period of time. So. Getting in on that first home in Scottsdale, Arizona, I think was that first stepping stone of me understanding how to compound my wealth through real estate. Where'd you take it from there? What came next? You know, after that, um, it was about, you know, building that ownership in companies. Um, so, you know, from, a, from an early age, you know, my father is an entrepreneur. He's a dentist. Uh, you know, I have a brother who also has a dental practice out in Arizona. So it was kind of just like the family thing of, okay, what's Darren's business? Well, I didn't have teeth very much um, around the dinner table. Uh, so I decided to, to go into finance. Um, you know, one of the first things that I did was I actually started a nonprofit. Uh, it's called the Art Mission Foundation, and we help local artists be able to feature their art 
artistic works uh, from around the world. Um, so running a nonprofit first was a good way for me to be able to find to uh, create profitability in the business. Um, it was, uh, you know, initially about finding people that were willing to sit on board. And, and the second was, okay, you know, what value are you bringing to your community? And it was really kind of being mission driven um, with the Art Mission Foundation that uh, kind of led me into this world of ownership in companies and being able to kind of venture off in something that's a little bit more obscure. Do you think the mission-driven piece came first or the desire to kind of own and operate a company came first? Uh, and kind of how did you reconcile those two, right? Because uh, oftentimes I think people think mission-driven is all charitable and there's no profit there. And, hey, start your own company is great. You're going to make a lot of money, right? And, you know, how do you reconcile and think about the two of those together? Yeah, I think I think it was a tandem of both. Um, so so I actually uh, you know have have a background. The mission, the Art Mission Foundation, is kind of uh, taken from uh, me when I was a Mormon missionary over in Africa. Uh, so I spent two years in Africa, one year in Uganda, one year in Ethiopia. And while I was there, you know, I collected different artifacts. I collected just a lot of things that had a lot of real sentimental value for me. And then when I came home, uh, you know, after spending time over there, I re it really just kind of uh, sat in a box in my garage and it didn't really do anything. And, uh, you know, what I wanted to do was be able to share those, uh, you know, artifacts, share those art pieces, be able to share those stories with other people um, and get some more utility out of something that was just in a box in, in my garage. And then the thought kind of came to me that there's probably a lot of other people that feel the same way, that maybe it does fit in the d decor of their home today, um, but that there's still a venue for them to be able to share those, those artifacts or those art pieces um, with the world and, and, and also just kind of share the sentimental value that's attached to it. And so finding that specific pain point of, you know, they have something, um, you know, that's a value, but they're not really utilizing it was that mission part of it. And then, um, you know, having the nonprofit operations was kind of that good starting block for me to be able to kind of work through some of the kinks of being able to find, you know, kind of my niche and, and how I operate and, and how I work with other people as well in an environment where, uh, you know, I felt like the stakes were a lot less high um, because I still had my day-to-day -day job at that point. So as you fast forward, now you're running your own company, you do portfolio management, investment advice, RIA, all of those different pieces, kind of what would, you know, looking back, what would your advice be to, you know, some of these entrepreneurs or sole proprietors who are at the beginning of the journey or just seeing profitability or, you know, trying to figure out, you know, where to put their money in, uh, you know, the market or uh, invest today? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the first things is, you know, thinking about what makes yourself irreplaceable, uh, either to your company or, uh, you know, if you're still working right now and, and clocking a nine to five, what makes you irreplaceable there? What's something if you were not there um, that, that, that they just couldn't do without? Um, and so for me, uh, you know, being able to find that passion 
uh, in investment management and portfolio management, but then also, you know, understanding uh, what makes me unique uh, is, is kind of where I think I'm able to leverage that now as I'm running Tuttle Ventures day to day and, uh, and really kind of just making that transition into investing in yourself. If, if somebody doesn't know what's making themselves irreplaceable, then, then why would they want to hire you uh, to, uh, to do the services that you have in, in a servant driven business like mine? How do you go about finding what makes you irreplaceable? Uh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think, mm, so, I, so I, I have a couple of like systems in place, like in the morning and then also throughout the day to be able to take inventory of actually what's uh, maximizing my time the most. Um, you know, so uh, first things first is, you know, I, I, I come into the day and I have a task list of all the things that I need to do. And then at the end of the day, I look at, okay, this is what I actually did. And this is how much time it took. And so I, what I found was over time, the things that took me the most time were often the, and the things that I put off, you know, to the least amount, uh, to the, you know, uh, pushed out as far as I could were the things that, um, you know, I, I wasn't the best at right. Or things that, uh, required a lot of cognitive, uh, thinking that after I did them, I just really felt drained. And so, uh, taking that, you know, personal inventory was a great way to be able to identify what my strengths and weaknesses were. So once you determine what makes you irreplaceable, right, that's, uh, you know, where you can double down, extract some of your value, have some purpose, right, should lead you on the road to generating, you know, more and more profitability for yourself or for the company or, you know, for whatever you're working with. Once you start experiencing that, right, like, where should those people be thinking about, okay, what do I do with my money? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's, it's kind of uh, two aspects for the investment management business, right? Because uh, we're, we're analyzing companies and we're seeing how those companies are profitable, right? And, and are worthy of investments. So that's what I do every day. And then it, I feel like there's an easy translation into when I'm actually running Tuttle Ventures uh, and to, to be able to maximize uh, my time that I'm spending there. Uh, you know, for example, uh, you know, everybody has like a way of looking at their business, but for registered investment advisor, like myself, you know, we're all about making sure that people have the time that it takes, uh, for them to do what they w love most in life. Right. Most people don't love reading through 10 K's or for a mutual fund prospectus. Right. That's my job. That's what I enjoy doing. Um, and so I, I siphon off my business into three different segments, sales, marketing, and operations. And so I, I created those segments um, so that I can channel what I'm passionate about and, and what energizes me and what's utilizing my strengths into each one of those segments for the business. And also just bringing in multiple income streams, right? So if I'm analyzing a company and I see, okay, you know, uh, this is Amazon and they have a cloud business, uh, and they also have a consumer retail business, right? And the cloud business is really funding this retail business as they continue to grow operations and scale things to the, to the massive uh, you know, company that Amazon is today. 
So identifying, you know, where are the multiple income streams coming from your business to be able to, you know, have you uh, maximize your profitability is, is also vitally important. That makes sense. Um, so as we take that a step forward, right, let's say John Smith has a, a production company manufacturing K95 95 masks, and they're just, they're killing it right now, given the demand. And he comes to you and says, you know, Darren, what, what should I do with my money? Or what should I be thinking about? Right? Like, what's, what's that piece of advice that you would give them on where to start? Yeah, I, I kind of think of, you know, where to start, right, is having some clearly defined goals, right? I can't help somebody if they don't have, you know, clearly defined goals. That's, that's first of all. For some people, uh, you know, one goal may be different from another. So let's get some clearly defined goals in line, and then we can certainly help you from there. Uh, you know, the second thing is, uh, I help people think about, uh, you know, their their company or, you know, their personal finances in the same way that they look at the company. So you have bond-like income, which is, you know, steady, reoccurring payments, usually on a set distribution schedule. Maybe you're getting paid weekly. Maybe you're getting paid two times a month. Maybe you're getting paid monthly, right? That um, can be stable for your bond-like income uh, for your business. And then the second is, you know, what are your, your equity, uh, like, uh, investments in yourself? What is something that, you know, you're putting a dollar in today, but in the future you could get $10 out of, and, and potentially that's more volatile as well. You know, maybe you get, you know, $10 one month and $1 the next month. Let's separate out those income streams and be able to identify the right mix for you between bonds and stocks to be able to maximize your profitability. So if someone was coming to you and they're after passive income, right? They want to be able to just rest and live off of passive income, right? Maybe they've got a portion of the portfolio that's growing on the equity side. But what would you recommend in terms of evaluating from, you know, building that passive income to, uh, you know, be able to take care of them for the rest of their lives? Well, you know, I'd say that a lot harder today than it was 10 years ago, right? As interest rates drop, it makes it easier to borrow money, but then it also makes it more difficult to be able to get the right amount of income that you need to sustain your lifestyle. Um, so we identified those goals. We recognize the kind of lifestyle that you want to live. Uh, from there, it, it's a simple math equation, uh, a math equation. You know, do we have enough assets right now to be able to pull income, uh, bond-like income from those investments. So on on a more conservative side, you're probably looking at you know three to four percent income in some very stable investments uh, in terms of high-quality corporate bonds, or you're looking at uh, you know maybe some municipal bonds for some uh, tax-free income. From there, uh, you know if you're looking to be a little bit more moderately aggressive. Let's say in the five to six percent range, uh, you're kind of expanding out uh, your investment capabilities there. So you're probably adding in some some real estate, some real estate investment trusts. You're probably looking at um, you know some some MLPs or some uh, you know partnerships in in some conglomerates, maybe oil and gas, um, to be able to supplement that income. 
And then you're, you're also probably looking at some floating rate debt, uh, you know, in, in terms of uh, credit quality for companies that are a little bit on the lower side, below investment grade, but they can still give you yields that are around, you know, five or 6%. Um, you know, from there, there's also the very aggressive side, right? This is if you're after, you know, uh, eight to 10% income. And that's where you have to get a little bit more creative, um, but it's certainly achievable. One of those is is called structured products. It's actually a, a product that's produced by the bank that has asymmetric payoffs. So you would contribute maybe a lump sum, and it would put you on the downside to up to about 20%. And then on the upside, you can get about 10% income uh, annualized on a on that type of financial product that's linked to and an equity index. Um, there's also, you know, just real estate partnerships uh, that also have, you know, higher cap rates with a little bit more risk, maybe hospitality or hotels, um, as opposed to, uh, you know, just commercial real estate with lower cap rates. Um, so those are, you know, kind of the spectrum. If you're looking at more conservative sources of income or if you're looking at more aggressive sources of income, it's all about, you know, creating that portfolio that's right uh, based on the goals and the lifestyle that that person wants to live. If you had to pick one that gave you the biggest bang for the buck today, what do you think that would be? Um, uh, do you mean uh, for, for, for Tuttle Ventures as a business or just like uh, in, in general, in terms of generating income from, uh, you know, different investment strategies? Yeah, I would say generating income, right? Passive income, I, I hear a lot, right? So I don't know if there's one that's in that frame, right? But obviously, you were uh, outlining, uh, you know, different risk that has different returns, right? Uh, and curious from your perspective, right? Obviously, as you move up, there's a different risk profile. But, you know, is there one that you think gives you the biggest bang for the buck, given, you know, the risk you take on and uh, the return in the current market? Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little bit biased, right? Uh, because I am a, a founder and I am a business owner, um, right? So I think that uh, right now, uh, you know, a potential, uh, you know, great uh, investment with, you know, some great trade-offs in terms of what you're putting in and what you can potentially get out is, uh, is found just in buying other companies. Um, so there's an example of a, of a, a company called Micro Acquire, um, and Micro Micro Acquire is essentially a platform. So if you have uh, Stripe payments, or if you're getting paid um, from Shopify, and you have monthly reoccurring revenues of let's say between four thousand and ten thousand, you can actually list uh, your company on Micro Acquire. And uh, you fill out, you know, just a just a form that uh, is standardized to be able to vet investment. And then MicroAcquire will list your company to potential investors to be able to match them up uh, with buyers. And and so there's a range, you know, some some uh, monthly recurring revenue uh, from software uh, companies on MicroAcquire will get acquired for a hundred thousand dollars, and some of them will get, uh, you know, paid out for three million dollars. Um, and so when you are an investor and you actually buy these companies, 
you're getting a dedicated track record that you know is verified from the payment structure on you know Shopify or or you know some of these other payment uh, acceptance uh, companies, and then you're also just able to take over that that reoccurring revenue and be able to identify the companies that match with what you're actually looking for. So if I had uh, you know a million dollars and I could buy uh, you know fifteen different companies on micro acquire. I think right now is a great time uh, to be able to do that. It's uh, it's fascinating. It's bringing, you know, crowdsourcing to angel investing almost, uh, which is pretty cool to see in execution. Um, You know, if someone's going to micro acquire, what are one or two things that they should be looking for in these companies? Is there, you know, assessing, do I put my money in, you know, company A versus company X? Yeah. I mean, for me, um, when I look at ownership, right, I always take like a never sell approach. Um, so I'm looking at things for the long term. You know, is this a company that I would be willing to hold, uh, you know, for the next 5, 10, 20, 30 years? Uh, you know, are, where are their reoccurring revenues coming from? Are they making, you know, fidget spinners? And maybe it's a, a potential fad that can phase out. Um, you know, or, uh, you know, are they making something that's a little bit more boring, right? The more boring a company is in the way that they make money, uh, the, the more I like them overall as an investment. That's funny. It's, uh, the opposite of what I think the general consensus would be, right? Um, uh, I think general consensus goes after the flashy new, uh, thing is the thing that can be big, but uh, tried and true kind of seems to outperform it in the long haul. Um, as we're wrapping up here, Darren, what would be one thing if you could share one piece of advice, right, with uh, someone who's coming into profitability and cash? What would it be? You know, I think, um, you know, I, I think that having the ability to understand. Uh, what your retained earnings are for the business and how you're maximizing those earnings uh, is most important, right? So if I can take that profitability and I can give it to somebody else who can leverage it better and get a greater return, then I am certainly open to that, right? I'm not a a know-it-all, but I'm certainly a learn-it-all. So I love learning from other people, learning their processes, seeing how they maximize uh, you know, business retained earnings and being comfortable, uh, being able to trust those, uh, to be able to grow your investments, I think is vitally important because you can only do so much in in any given day. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, for our listeners who want to connect back with you, Darren, what's the best way for them to reach you? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm not hard to find. Uh, you can find me at www.tuttleventures.com. Uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn with Darren Tuttle, D-A-R-I-N-T-U-T-T-L-E. Um, I'm also pretty active on Twitter, uh, Darren uh, underscore P-8-0. Um, so those are probably the three ways that you can find me and uh, and get in touch. Awesome. Appreciate the time today, Darren, and uh, look forward to staying in touch. All right. You have a good one. Thanks. Thank you for joining us today on The Prosperity Perspective. If you'd like to subscribe to our podcast, please head over to theprosperityperspective.com 
where you can hear from other successful business owners on their approach to investments. On our website, you'll be able to learn more about how DML Capital currently helps other business owners, like yourself, diversify their investments and grow their wealth. Take our short quiz to see if you're ready to take the next steps toward your financial success.